Welcome to the Bill Bardwell Show. I am Bill Bardwell. Yes, my voice is a little raspy. I We went through it in Vegas this past week. We got after it. Apparently, it also got after us. The Chiefs got after it in the Super Bowl, launching yet another comeback victory to beat the San Francisco 49ers. I, I probably don't need to tell you what happened. You probably watched, I assume, if you're listening to this podcast. If you're only finding out what happened from this podcast, I want to talk to you. I don't really understand you. I respect you and appreciate you. But assuming you watched, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into what happened in the Super Bowl today. And joining me to do that, someone I always love to have on the show, but someone I love particularly today because he was at the game and maybe saw some things I did not see watching on my couch from home, joining me to talk about the game, to celebrate the Leo Chanel hour here on the Bill Barnwell Show is my buddy, Nate Tice of The Athletic and Yahoo. Nate, are you actively doing a Leo Chanel victory lap as we talk right now? Uh, A little bit, a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. I'm feeling my Chanel right now. I'm diving in like Scrooge McDuck into my <laughs> my my Chanel coins. That's the new cryptocurrency, Chanel's. That's, uh, I cannot wait to invest all of it into it. No, I'm doing fantastic. I think the only observation I had from being at the game, other than you know, lewd drunkenness around from Chiefs, happy Chiefs fans and sad 49ers fans, it was uh, Jeff Goldblum. When he got on the jumbotron, mm-hmm. acted like a fan that was on the fir- first time he's ever seen himself on the jumbotron. He like made a little heart. He started dancing. He blew kisses <laughs> to the crowd. He hugged. It was like phenomenal. I actually got the crowd out. I I popped, even from media row. Uh, I think he, you know, in the wrestling term, I popped. I I did. Yes. I loved it. It was fantastic. And I actually thought. You were starting the show with your own wrestling voice because I got to hear that at your live show on Thursday, your wrestling voice in person. And I thought it was fantastic. I liked it. It sounded it sounded very earthquakey. You know, earthquake oh, wow. back in the day. Yeah. I thought you were gonna do a little jumping up and down, you know, before you do you know the big <laughs> the big squish. what was his final move? The squish, the squash. The big spy. Remember he he, he squished uh he squished the Jake or squished Jake the Snake Steak very famously. Oh, he did. He did. Yeah, he got the massive like monster heel around for a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I liked, I liked him, especially when he was in the what the oddities during the Attitude Era. He was like Olga Golga. You weren't a fan of the of the Avalanche and and the Shark Era. I like the Faces of Fear. Are we gonna talk Faces of Fear? Do you remember the John Tenta tattoo story? No. So he went to LSU and had a tiger tattoo, and they they made him the shark, and so he had to cover up the tattoo because they were like, why would a shark have a tiger tattoo? Oh. I love it so much. I'm glad we got to go on an earthquake discussion, yes. though. Good wrestling talk. Good wrestling. <laughs> um, for for the people who maybe didn't listen to our preview shows talking about this stuff, tell us about Leo Chanel and tell us what he did to change the course of yesterday's game, both in his big plays and maybe more on a stop-by-stop basis. Uh, I, I There's the term queen on a chessboard, like, uh, coaches will use this player like a queen on a chessboard. This guy's a queen on a chessboard. Like all the things he could do. Kyle Hamilton is one. Shoot, Patrick Mahomes is one. All the things he can do. Uh, I would say Leo Chanel is a rook mm-hmm. on the chessboard and that he can move straight line very well. Uh, but moving maybe diagonally or quickly or anything like that, you know, not, not, not his best thing. But what Leo Chanel can do very well is he can set the edge in the run game. And he did that mm-hmm. constantly last night. And you could see this in person. I'm sure it showed up because you see more of a lot of run plays from the 49ers turning back inside. So he is a linebacker for the for the Chiefs. He's he's a badger. Uh, discla- uh, full disc- <laughs> disclosure here. Uh, I am also a Wisconsin badger. So uh, alum. So yes, I, I have been aware of Chanel and his large family. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. Make sure to look it up. He's like one oh, of gosh. 12, I think. Um, but he's a great, he's great. He's like a Wisconsin folk hero. Uh, but he, uh, but, uh, how Spags uses him, how Steve Spagnuolo, defense coordinator for chiefs uses him is just, uh, he puts him where he thinks he can really cause damage and not the damage that sometimes we think, Oh, here's the big TFL. Here's this big play. It's really just to push guys back. 
it's either sometimes he lines up over the defense or uh, the offensive guard, like a defensive tackle at times um, to create some different fronts for the chiefs. Sometimes though, he lines up on the outside to, you know, help negate the run game. And that's what he did constantly last night. And you could feel it along with all the other tackling from the chiefs, but Leo Chanel had a huge role out plus the TFL plus other things, but just his impact and even the non-box score stuff was just felt throughout the night. Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to set the edge, on the outside against the run game, pretty good team to do that against. Yeah. Yeah. And also uh, doing it against George Kittle. That's the other thing is that George Kittle is truly one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. He is a true math changer. He could take on defensive ends and wipe them out. It's, it's, it's really cool to watch actually. Uh, but watching what Chanel did to Kittle and win most of the matchups that I saw anecdotally, or you know, maybe it is some of that, oh, this was a play that got impacted and I saw it, but at least four or five times that he is pushing, not letting Kittle get the edge. And that is what that is. It's a battle to the edge. It's a battle to get your head across. It's a battle for space to create space. Because even if you don't get to the outside, say, you know, bounce it all the way to the outside, even though that is the goal, it at least stretches the defense horizontally. So then the running back can, can then attack vertically. That is the whole point of the zone run game. That is the basis of it. So if you just squish it and make everything tight, even if they got they get a positive gain, it's three yards instead of eight that this 49ers offense can do. And he he's he was squishing it. <laughs> he was squishing it a lot. And he really did it against Kittle, who is that's saying he, that's a huge matchup to win because that is usually something the 49ers usually win week in, week out. Yeah. McCaffrey's longest run of the game, 11 yards on, on Sunday. You know how explosive he can be when things are blocked up. Um, Chris Jones is getting a ton of attention after this game. To me, he was the MVP. I can see two touchdowns he probably kept off the board because he was able to get pressure, one of which was he went unblocked, which um, it's a bummer when your season comes down to a third down play in overtime and you leave Chris Jones unblocked up the B-gap. No, it's what you want. It's not. Nate, Nate, Nate is being facetious. <laughs> it is not what you want, actually, for the Chiefs. But everyone's going to see what Chris Jones did. I'm hoping that I don't need to detail what Chris Jones did. But, Nate, from your perspective, were there other players on the Chiefs defense besides Chris Jones, besides Leo Chanel, who really made a difference, who really stood out as, like, you know, significant players for the chiefs on sunday um that was uh, the, the chanel's rhyming partner uh that's mike <laughs> Pennell, uh number 69 and i i thought he i mean for a vet that's been what on and off practice squad recently so basically as like the yep. 40 54th member of mm-hmm. the squad of this chiefs team and just coming on and truly maybe it's fresh legs maybe this is the meta just get a whole <laughs> bunch of old vets and just just move them in and out, shuffle them in and out for a couple of weeks at a time. But uh, yeah, he came and made a huge impact. Uh, he took it to Trent Williams in a run play, which was just remarkable. I thought um, even rookie Felix Andy Duque uh, Uzama came in and beat uh, on one on the inside on a, on a play. Uh, but I thought, of course, uh, all the DBs stood out. That's been this entire season is the Chiefs DBs, but especially Trent McDuffie, um, the, the slot player for the Chiefs. I figured this Chiefs DBs uh, and defensive land would be very mm-hmm. physical on the outside with the 49ers uh, outside receivers. I was curious at how the matchup with Debo Samuel in the slot would be. And McDuffie took it to him. Uh, I I made this joke on our show, but and I had it on a preview show. One of my favorite props going into this week was over receptions for mm-hmm. Debo Samuel because of how I thought the Chiefs would play. He would get a lot of opportunities. He got yes. 11 targets, Bill. My process, Wise. I am very happy with my process. I'm very happy. And he finished with three catches. <laughs> and that speaks to how Trent McDuffie played because he was, and other again, other DBs, but he was the highlight. He was physical with them down the up uh, at the slot, or I'm sorry, at mm-hmm. the snap or down the field. And also just as a blitzer, obviously the huge play on mm-hmm. third five, which I can get, there's some, some cool nerd out stuff with that play too. So there's seven DBs on the field which depending on which defense you're in, they can be called dollar personnel. I've heard quarters personnel, which can get a little mm, confusing. I don't like that. That's that, that's very upsetting to me. I don't either. What's even more unique, so with 7 DBs, dime, because this is just how football works, so it's nickel is 5. That makes total sense. Dime is 6, and dollar yes. is 7. 
because that is just helpful. And then there's six technique and seven techniques inside the six technique. Yeah, whether we can go more and more on this. But with the seven DB look, that is only the third time this playoffs that the Chiefs have been in that personnel grouping. And on top of it, when usually there's seven DBs, it's with four defensive linemen and no linebackers. It's with three defensive linemen, one linebacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chiefs on that play lined up with two defensive linemen, Chris Jones and George sure. Loftus, and two true off-ball linebackers, Nick Bolton mm-hmm. and Willie Gay. And I, that's just unique. A two-two-seven personnel is just something, not something you see every day. And only seeing, I look back actually just this morning to see the other times they ran that personnel. They ran it about a mm-hmm. dozen times throughout the season, but sometimes it was two minute. Sometimes it was when the team was taking a knee or spiking, you know, stuff like that. But you, typically it was high leverage situations, typically against good offenses or good mm-hmm. quarterbacks. And the Dolphins offense makes a lot of sense to run it because it's, and then the 49ers, because they're the same tree. It's the right. Shanahan tree. So this set, this seven DB look, um, it, it just messed with the personnel or messed with the, uh, the mm-hmm. protection for the 49ers on that play. George Kittle's in there in the back because the 49 in the backfield. I'm sorry. Yes. And they're doing that because <laughs> Shanahan was trying to get to a nice fun look there. He's trying to get Christian McCaffrey out uh, into a, a route and getting him out uh, uh, mm-hmm. into the formation. And when he does that, he's trying to get some man or zone indicators for the quarterback and also just to create a funky look and create communication from the defense. When there's seven DBs on the field, that's not much of an indicator. All right. Oh, so I, it's what 20 number it doesn't matter. I'm not, there's no difference of, even though that guy's technically a linebacker on the defensive call to an offensive player, that's still a defensive back, even if the X on the chalkboard might be different. So they, they, when you have Kittle in the backfield, having to pass protect, he kind of misses the protection uh, because he's just not, not used to that. He didn't know who to sort out right. <laughs> and it, it ends up being a free runner and ends up being a pressure and all that type of stuff. And Purdy misses the hot throw in the slot, I thought, and tried to progress outside. So compounding effect. I wanted to geek out for a minute. So thank you for me doing it. I just had a shot of espresso. So that was just perfect time to do that. So thank you, Bill. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm watching it again now. I, in my column, I, I, I didn't have the all 22. I had the dots and I had the TV view. I speculated, yeah, maybe Kittle can can scan the field and get across to McDuffie, but you know, giving up the right guard was not blocking anybody and could have taken the other blitzer on that side. Certainly feels like you would hope that you're, you know, the guy who can make things right for you um after the snap, based on what he sees, is gonna be that guy in the backfield, that blocker. Yeah. You would hope that Kittle gets over there. Um he did not. Maybe it was too quick. I mean, right. McDuffie's a fast dude, and maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Like you said, Purdy could have thrown the slant to the guy in the side. He could have thrown, replaced the blitz, right? Throw to the guy who um, his guy's blitzing. Again, maybe all of that doesn't work. Maybe maybe all of that is, maybe it doesn't matter in the big picture. Maybe McDuffie's getting there no matter what. But it felt like the Niners had their chances, maybe is the way I would put it, right? Like this is a third and five. Yeah. If you complete this pass, the Chiefs are using their timeouts. You're running the clock down. You get another first down. You can kick to win the game. Best case scenario, you're kicking, and Mahomes has to go length of the field in a minute with no timeouts to get in field goal range. Not length of the field, but has to get in field goal range with a minute and no timeouts. That that third down play in overtime, right? The the third down where Chris Jones runs free, where another protection goes mm-hmm, wrong, mm-hmm. and they get Brandon Ayuk, I believe. I think Lejarius Sneed slipped. On, on the backside post and Brandon Ayuk is running free in the end zone and there's nobody with him and Brock Purdy can't get there because Chris Jones is in his face after two seconds. You can go back to the pop pass earlier in the game where Debo Samuel is wide open. You beat Snead, but again, Chris Jones gets a pressure on Brock Purdy and the throw is incomplete. I feel like, because of what the universe is that we we both occupy that's going to get pinned on purdy maybe he should have made all those throws and i i trust you as a former quarterback as a nuanced person as someone who doesn't need to give a takey opinion i i trust you to parse the blame there for purdy and the people around him but do you think this kind of reinforces the concerns about Purdy. Like, do you feel like 
how he played in those moments that he was not able to run away from a free rusher that he wasn't able to create out of structure that he did not you know read the game maybe as quickly or reliably as you would have hoped do you think that reinforces sort of the concerns that Purdy can't be you know uh, the guy who some people think he is when it comes to being an elite quarterback or do you put enough of the blame on other people or other elements of this offense to the point where you'd say it's not really Purdy's fault for those plays? And I'm, I'm going to give the answer that everybody loves. It's it both. is both. But, but do you think uh, it's, it's, it is, but it's like I 50, think, 50, oh, oh, do you sorry. think it's 20? Yeah. yeah, I guess that's what I'm asking. I, I think it is. I'll go like maybe 25% scheme and 75%. Wow, Purdy. Okay. I, I think, or 37, given that range though. Um, I think some of the designs of the Shanahan offenses, because they pull so many guys with their play action stuff against a blitzing wonky defense, it's going to get caught because it is just very hard. Uh, uh, it's, it's just a lot of these guys, especially if they're not talented, um, the offensive line. Uh, it can lead to just guys, you know, letting guys go. Like they, if they, they, they don't have the quickness to recover. Some of these guys were undrafted free agents or on the, uh, or untouched free agents, I should say as well, because, you know, maybe they're a step slow. Maybe they aren't have the, they don't have the quickest eyes to pick up stuff and to adjust to things. So right there, if you then pulled these guys and make guys move and make their eyes change around, and then you're playing against Chris Jones and George Carl Loftus and several good blitzers that this chief's team has that know what they're doing. Cause they do this since day one, since the day they were brought into the world of spags that it, that they are comfortable with this against a team that's not comfortable mm-hmm. going against that. They want you to be in these static 4-3 looks where they know exactly what you're in. So I think that that initially puts them at a disadvantage against a defense that knows what they're doing. But having said that, they still had answers. I think there still were chances to be had. Yes, uh, I think Chris Jones had six pressures, and there's nine unblocked pressures. And I did think Purdy did a couple of nice t- times uh, in uh, evading pressure. The one that where he missed the Debo, uh, over the top where McDuffie actually made a nice play on it. He made, he stepped up in the pocket and did a nice job there. And he did that a couple of times. I actually thought his movement a couple of times was more impressive in person than maybe I've given credit to him in the, in the past, especially considering he's about, you know, 215, 220 is a decent weight. But having said that, you feel the interior pressure. You feel it get tight on him. You feel him not be able to do mitigate the pocket when something comes between the, the in, in the interior gaps. And that's where I, I, there's a limitation. If things aren't clean and things aren't perfect, balls are going to hit the ground. Balls are going to get tipped. Balls are going to spray because he just doesn't have that size, doesn't have that overwhelming arm strength to give you the room for error. And I know we all, it's lazy or people want it to be lazy to go, oh, it's just size and speed. You just love that. The, just the trade stuff. It matters. And it matters because of moments like that and moments of mitigating pressure and not just pressure where you're getting chased by a guy and Purdy can do that and run. He, he got some angles on guys. He made Chris mm-hmm. Jones miss. It's when it's in your lap. How do you get the ball off? How do you deliver the throw that's there on time? And that was another thing. I thought Purdy was late several times. I thought Purdy got mm-hmm. fooled a couple times last night. And actually sometimes the good plays were like, wow, you really found it. I'm watching it live. He went to the wrong guy a couple times. And it worked out. It happens like that. Don't get me wrong. Everyone, it happens to a lot of quarterbacks. But there's some times where it's like, I don't want to be mean, but it's like there's some he got away with. And that's where that's why I leave it at that 75% or 70% is because I've you could feel it in that game. I guess a defense that knows what they're doing. You, I believe you wrote about um, his struggles against top 10 defenses. It always felt like a moving picture and pressure really it, uh, it, it makes them makes them just, you know, stall. And that, so again, that's where I think there's the limitations, but then you watch Amy Holmes or you watch these other t- guys that we call top tier guys and you see them find their own ways to mitigate it. They all do it in different ways. That's what makes football awesome. But I just don't, Purdy doesn't have that superpower. And that's why I do think there's a ceiling to his play. And that's why there's a limitation sometimes with this offense to drop back. So tall guy says too small. Oh, yeah. I know. I know, dude. It's, it's the word. I was slow though. So at least I got that. I think we have some evidence on video that you are not that slow. I was I was a lot like Brad Johnson. I was like a poor man's Brad Johnson. That that's kind of if you want to picture my quarterback game, that's a lot. That I would have been great in like an air raid. 
just like well like d- dink and dunk everywhere or like a run and shoot just dink and dunk everywhere out of the gun but of course i was like no i'm going under center eye formation heavy play action with my weak arm that's perfect you want to chuck it, you want to <laughs> chuck it. That, that that's the most aesthetically pleasing version of football so i, I don't fault you this podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. What stands out to me is, okay, if you don't have that, if you're not the prototypical size arm strength guy, that's okay. You can still thrive in the NFL. Exactly. But you have to have something else. You have to have a way to escape that. I mean, Russell Wilson had a, I guess has, he's still playing football, has had a long career. <laughs> but what made him succeed when he didn't have the prototypical size, and you know Russell Wilson very well, of course, is that he could run away I, from people. He could extend, he could create out yes. of structure. And he had... if not a prototypical arm, a very good arm and certainly a very accurate arm on downfield passes. Legit one of the the best deep ball throwers uh, in the new millennium since at least 2000, I'd say. Since I've been paying attention to football, I always, uh, you know, since I was a kid, he is, I'm not even saying that because I know the guy, but he is legitimately one of the best deep ball throwers. And borne out by the numbers. Um, Yes. You know, that, that, that's something that mitigated those concerns. And maybe when Russ has slowed down later yep. in his career, maybe that's been a problem because there has not been that sort of counterpunch to, okay, what what do I do if you take away, you know, the, the things that I need um, to sort of survive? Yep. And I, I wonder if that's the case with Purdy because yes, he can create a structure. Yes, he is mobile, but we don't normally see him have those throws where he like, Make someone miss and then resets and then loads up. He doesn't have that sort of like Josh Allen or Mahomes style to, you know, hit huge plays. At least I, I don't think, please correct me if I'm wrong, very often when he's creating out of structure, he can do it. And he's not a game manager, as, as I'm so sick of saying. But uh, this is why I want to clarify with people listening there's a difference in not just aesthetics, but just difference in what's happening from throwing on the run. And throwing how Bill yes. is saying. That's what I think the difference. There's a difference from throwing on bootlegs and then when you break the pocket and you just throw and turn the shoulder and throw, or you know, stepping out of the pocket, moving left and throwing like a little sidearm throw over the middle to create a throw out, out of structure. So that, I I just wanted to clarify. That's how I was picturing it. Yes. Yeah. And and you're right. And like you like you said, I think there's an element of being able to create when you don't get what you're expecting. And I think when Brock is in rhythm when he knows what's coming when he when his read is correct he's really good and like he said sometimes he can make the wrong read and still be really good but what was the stat i had in my column today about purdy um it was like after three seconds he hit his numbers drop precipitously and like most quarterbacks have their numbers drop as you get later into a stat because they don't have an easy solution Mm -hmm. but that feels more significant to me than Purdy. And, and it's not that, again, he can create enough structure. He can create on the run, as I was saying. He can create, um, you know, improvising. I think as you were saying, you know, I, I, there's not a, it's not like he has to win in the first two seconds in the pocket or he's doomed, but he's really at his best when he knows what's coming and is facing a static defense and can work off of play action. And we know a lot of quarterbacks like that. And there's nothing wrong with playing that kind of quarterback. You can win with that kind of quarterback. Nope. But it's not the dude. It's not Mahomes. It's not Allen. It's right. not Lamar. It's not Burrow. Uh, maybe maybe Burrow might be the closest one, I guess. But um, I, I guess that's my question is, like, do you feel like if you're Cal Shanahan, does how Purdy played serve as sort of an indictment of – the fact that you went and tried to get a dude and missed out. Oh, 
man, I, I think it, it, that Trey Lance trade happened for yes. a reason. It was because he felt like he hit a ceiling with how he operates his offense. That is kind of basically what Kyle Shannon has said. It's not even just me speculating. Uh, that's why he went for a guy like Trey Lance who could throw it deep, who could scramble, who could create plays out of structure, who could be part of the QB design, uh, uh, yes. QB run game. Which came up last night. It did. It really did. Oh, man, I know. That was that was funny. It's like, why would they call that short yardage? And sure enough, there it was. <laughs> a little, little replay for you. But the best players or the ones that have these traits that I think the elite guys are even the very good, those top eight-ish guys they have is how do you mitigate pressure is one. And I avoid sacks or avoid negative plays really is, is the big one that, I mean, for all of Josh Allen and Mahomes' craziness, look at their sack yes, rates. Incredible. It's, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And the other thing is third down and third, I should say third and medium plus. And why that matters is that means you almost automatically have to drop back and pass. And the defense knows that you have to drop back and pass. Those are called passing downs. Uh, the Shanahan offense is built by design to make those as easy as possible, make them shorter, and to win on first and second down, which they do very, very well. And I think the other thing is the changing picture stuff. The the like you you mentioned several times, the changing picture, figuring out an answer post snap, because again, the Shanahan offense is very good at giving quarterbacks guardrails, I should say, to go. If the coverage is this, you go freaking here. If you don't go here, I am yelling at you. <laughs> if the coverage is this, you go here. You go here no matter what. Gosh dang it, go here. Throw it there. Stand there. Throw it there. Right to the hash and throw it there. That's what they do. And why I'm bringing up those points is that's the difference between the elite guys and what I, I see in Purdy and sometimes I see in these Shanahan offenses. And that is, again, why the Trey Lance trade happened. And so that's why Purdy's arm is Purdy's arm. So I already I'm saying I think it's I'll give him an above average arm. I would not say it's average. I'll say above average, but it's not good or better. Good is on the scouting term is a six and a six is the winning threshold. Like that's where you're like at that trait. That is the that's good or better. And it's, it's a hard good. Russ, Russell Wilson, you brought him up. He had a good arm, a, a very good deep ball. Excellent deep ball. I should say a guy like Kyler Murray, a good arm, very good arm. These guys are former mm -hmm. baseball players. Kyler Murray is a 4-4 guy that can make guys miss. Again, he does it over and over. Throws a beautiful deep ball. Again, can drive the ball on the outside. Again, you mentioned it. Purdy can throw in rhythm. He can do those things when everything is on schedule. But the thing is, the once stuff get he's the regular season quarterback, it almost mm. feels like. Oh, God, that's going to get clipped, isn't it? Uh, it's once you get to the playoffs, though, it gets hard. And defenses like Spags really hone in on what you're really good at and take away your first answer and sometimes your second answer. So what can you do when you have to create or what do you do when you have to progress and hang in the pocket and find a throw that works? And that's where I see the limitations of it. And that's why I feel like in the playoffs, it just gets so tight. Yeah, and we've seen in the playoffs, he's been inconsistent, maybe is the best way to put it. He's struggled for stretches, yeah. but then yeah. when he's gotten hot, he's been awesome when they found solutions he's been very good at pulling them off and we saw i mean admittedly he was helped by a pass that bounced off a defensive back's helmet and into the hands of brandon iu which can't yes. draw that one up but nope nope he looked great against the lions in the second half last week he looked good against the packers in the second half the week before at the end of the day like the, the conclusion is going to be reasonable it's going to be fair it's going to be the reality of of the limitations of Brock Purdy, but it's not going to be what people want because I think people want Brock Purdy no. to be a superstar or a total scrub who is just held up by the best offensive coach and best playmakers in football. And it's not either of those things. It's never going to be either no. of those things. It's not going to be that thing from week to week. It's not going to be that thing from year to year. And that's a very unsatisfying mm -hmm. answer, I think, like I feel for people. It's like the white stuffing in an Oreo. No one knows what it is. So it's just whatever. Uh, but it's per another thing, too, is I've come around a little bit on some. Pre I, I've been Brock Gnostic yes. this year. It's been very nice. Um, Is that he's it's, he's only in his second year, you know, and that's that's another mm -hmm. thing. Guys get better. And of course, really, I, I, a lot of a lot of classic scouting is you don't really evaluate a guy fully until their third year in the NFL and quarterbacks could take longer. So that's another thing. It's not like, oh my God, this is him forever. It's just that he has limitations to his, some of his, you know, God given traits, <laughs> just as far as like uh, arm strength and being able to run. 
And I think that when he has, if he has to win, like he has to win just consistently and find all those things, he can maybe still get better mentally and still mitigate pressure and still find those other answers in this offense that's in there. But it's just sometimes for, you know, that, that is, that's, that's what it just always feels like. It's like, okay, so where's that put him in? And no one wants to hear like, oh, 14th best. Okay. That doesn't really drive clicks. Brock Purdy is the 14th best quarterback. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, all right, that's it. That's it. It's just 14th and or 12th or 16th mm-hmm. or wherever it is. 10th. I would say, I would say 10th. Cause you say top yes. 10 then 11th, you know, but I, I think that's what I, it frustrates people when you're like, yeah, he's, he's above everything. He's fine. And I, I think that's it drives people crazy when everything has to be a one or a zero, like Netflix changed their ratings. So it's just a thumbs up or a mm-hmm. thumbs down because everything's awesome. Or everything fail. sucks. So I, yeah, pass fail. And I, I think that's what's annoying for, I think when I want to just have a conversation about what Purdy is good at and the stuff that he does struggle with, or I want to see him improve at because no one wants that discussion and it takes nuance bill. And I, I don't know. I just, I started the show talking about earthquake, uh, the wrestler, and talking about the oddities, which is an attitude era stable. So I don't know if I'm the one that's for it, but sometimes I like to do it when I could do it with people like you, Bill. The three and a half star match that is Brock Purdy. <laughs> which pay-per-view? Halloween Havoc? Yeah, see, he's out there on Fall Brawl. He's he's the guy. He's not a yeah, battle royal. He's the other cruiser. He's, yeah, he's not. Oh, no, Dean Malenko might be too good for him. Uh, no, I was going to say, it's yeah, he's the match that came after Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc. Patrick Mahomes might be the Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio match of Halloween Havoc of quarterbacks. But that's that's kind of what I was getting at. But <laughs> he's all that package into yes. one. Um, let me ask you one more Niners question, and then we'll finish up with some stuff about the Chiefs. Yeah. Kyle Shanahan's decision in overtime. From your perspective, thinking about the the various options, thinking about what the Niners had just dealt with at the end of the game, do you think, and again, this is a question that may have some nuance here. Do you think there was an obvious right answer between taking the ball first and trying to score, which he did, or letting the Chiefs establish what the score needed to be and then taking the ball second? Do you feel like he made the wrong choice? Do you feel like there is a wrong choice? I don't think there's a wrong choice. Um but I know what I personally would do, and maybe it's just because I have the college mm-hmm. overtime rules in my head, is is taking the ball second. That just so you know what you need. Um, but that's just that's just what I defaulted to. I'm willing to listen to any argument <laughs> because I think it's it's fun. It's another new strategy mm-hmm. thing to consider and to go over and to get examples of. I think we'll probably have what, like maybe three examples over a decade. Um, but I, I think that's the uh, yeah, but no, I for me it's take the ball second so you know the answers. But again, I'm I'm open to any type of answer. Yeah, I mean you saw the Chiefs went for it on the fourth and one. Exactly. Um, I think they're on 34 yard line, and maybe they don't do that. Yep. If they get the ball first, maybe they say yep. we don't want to turn the ball over to Brock Purdy and the suddenly exquisite on deep kicks Jake Moody, and lose the game that way. Maybe we punt. That's that's a fair. A fair argument. I guess even leaving the game theory element aside, I sort of wonder, I look at the Niners' defense, they had just dealt with an 11-play drive in the two-minute drill Mm -hmm. where they were sprinting up and down the field. I have to think they were tired. And you get a break. There is a short break between the end of regulation and the start of overtime. But does the possibility that they were gassed on defense make you lean the other direction that's a that's a great point though bill and that's why you have to consider the team circumstances team situations and that's the thing too is that when guys get refreshed you just said oh yeah there's a break is i'll just tell people it's not that they refresh to 100 (laughs) percent you you refresh to your bar to 68 percent yes you're not putting in you're not putting a quarter (laughs) into the wrestle fest machine and getting a full health bar back (laughs) no you're getting like a half heart in zelda you know, like that's just yes. like, like, and it just bumps up just a little bit. Um, but that, no, that's a great point. And also there are some elements too. Okay. If it does go a pump putt situation and you say game theory, but even mm-hmm. just the, the uh, uh, field position battle, 
you want to get into that. Okay, then we just need a field goal. I can recall the Texans-Ravens game earlier this year where that was a slog and it turned into a field position battle in the the playoffs. So um, I think that is also a consideration too. It's a, although it was pretty funny uh, to see some uh, questions happening in in the the Ox box, the Oxoe press box about whether the overtime just stops (laughs) on the Chiefs possession. What's the time right now? Because I don't think when you're not really expecting two just epically long drives to last the playoffs or uh, last the whole entire overtime. It's actually pretty entertaining to watch these, a 13 play drive followed by immediately by another yes. 13 play drive. Yes, absolutely. I, I got some texts as well from people wondering, are the Chiefs about to run out of time and they don't realize it. So uh, that was not the case. They would have been was, fine. Oh yeah. But to your point, this, the, even it was 11 play drive that ended the field goal to mm-hmm. end the game. And even before that was a 12 yep. play drive. For, for a field goal and that adds up those are just that's and then the, there's a third uh, the, the three and out okay yep and then there's another a nine mm-hmm. play drive i mean these are all just in the second half again those add up that takes a lot out of you and then followed up by another 13 play drive so it, you can see that light bulb come on for the chief's offense and yeah it ends up draining it felt you felt that pass rush kind yes. of dwindle as the game went along and then you just see of course mahomes always figures it out sometimes it's the first play Sometimes it's the first drive. Sometimes it's the middle of the second quarter or the third quarter, but he always figures it out. Him and Andy Reid do. And you could in person, I, I said this last time on the show with Robert is in person. I middle of the third quarter. You, you just mm-hmm. felt it click. And it was like, ah, oh, there it goes. <laughs> there it goes. Nickel and dime. Oh, uh, yep. That, oh, wow. Yeah. That there it goes. Yep. There he is. He's not missing a throw now. So that it, it's, that's what stinks. Sometimes when you do the opposing team, it's like, you only get so many chances and that's why you have to consider everything, especially a gas. It's defense. easy. They just run mesh, run triple option, run corn dog motion. That's all you need. Corn dog motion. <laughs> uh, I love that. I, I wanted to get squidward motion going about the, the bumper motion. I call it squidward <laughs> motion. Just the, I call it strafe motion, like you're playing Doom. I like that strafe. Nice. I meant I meant I meant Zoidberg motion. <laughs> I, I messed up my I messed up my secondary characters in cartoons. That's fair. Uh Zoidberg. Uh, but the the strafe uh can James Bond, can't you strafe in James Bond too with the C buttons? Yes, I believe you could strafe in Goldeneye as well. Yes. That called just straight up James Bond. Wow. It's right. okay. That was like that, really that, you're not like you're not yeah. like a you're a parent, but you're not like you know, the parents saying, oh, oh, you don't, you already have the James Bond game at home. You don't need, you Which, don't need the new James Bond game. I remember my mom got me a game for Christmas one time and she goes, so Nate, I know you really wanted this game, but it was three. It was, so it's Mortal Kombat three. So you don't have the first two. And, uh, you know, I'm like eight years old. You know, it's like, of course I don't yes. have the first two. And it's, and it, but you got suckered you to get me three. And, and but you don't have the first two. Do you need the yes. first two to like yes, play this do. one? She thought you had to complete the set. You need to stack them up. And I was like, no, no, I will take the second one though. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, I, I reverse chronologically ordered, did the, uh, the Mortal Kombat series when I was a kid, because my mom thought you had to complete the set to, <laughs> to, to play them all. You don't, you don't understand the story of Mortal Kombat. If you don't play the first two games, you're like fatality. What does that mean? I don't Sub Zero? He's cold? How did he get so cold? He has to find his animality. <laughs> he has to find his animality, and that's how he wins and beats the bad guy Shao Kahn. Now, Shao Kahn is the ruler of the outworld. <laughs> now, what's the outworld? It's not, it's it's like Earth, but hell. And it's out there. Goro has four. And it's arms? not a different planet. <laughs> no, you're thinking of Kitaro. No, Monturo's got the yes. legs. Oh, I know all this. Uh, <laughs> This is no, it's just sorry. I've derailed a Super Bowl conversation to Mortal Kombat it's lore. It's fine. Thank you. Thank you, Ed Tobias. From the Chiefs perspective, finishing up here, they yes. are, I guess, I want to ask you two roster building questions, which is totally not unrelated to the Super Bowl, but not related to what we just saw. But I think the two questions I'm thinking okay. about for each of these teams as we head into next year. So, from the Chiefs side, you have two very prominent free agents, Chris Jones and Legarius Sneed. Chiefs, they can, they can make it work if they need to. They could go ahead and re-sign those guys if it's absolutely uh, a must. But from your perspective, if you had to pick one, who would you pick? Mm. Mm. 
That's why I asked you. That's so freaking hard because Snead played phenomenal. Uh, he was the second team All Pro for me. I thought he was one of the best corners in the league. Obviously, that's why he was a second yep. team All Pro. He was a first team All Pro. Woo! I think I went Ward, Ward, and Sertan mm-hmm. first team. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, I know, but Snead was fantastic. But, anyways, corners are so volatile. And that is just always, especially as they get older, they fall mm-hmm. off a cliff historically after 30. And that is, it's dicey. Sneed is pretty awesome because he's versatile. He's a great blitzer. He can play yep. the slot. Uh, that adds value to him. So I'm not saying because, oh, just because of the age, I want to drop him. I still think you could find valuable snaps mm-hmm. for him. Even if he loses twitch and athleticism, you can move him to the slot, and which might not demand mm-hmm. that as much. Having said all that, I de facto always defer to the lines. I think in a, a position rankings, if I were just doing amongst the premium spots, I always build around the defensive line first. I think that is second mo- that's the second most important position to me after quarterbacks. So I, by default, go to Chris Jones, even if he is a few years older. He doesn't miss time. He has, has doesn't miss games. He's, uh, I think he, because of his plus athleticism already, he will age fine. And with a contract that incentivizes maybe playing the run earlier in the game, I, I think then you get more four quarters of action, but you watch him, especially watch him in the playoffs. He's the ultimate yeah. weapon that you need for a defense in the playoffs. He is the closer. He is the guy you mentioned already that he would have been your MVP. He shuts down drives by himself. You've given one sliver of space. He's a math changer. So I love Snead. I think he's phenomenal, but if I had to pick one of these, I still would go with Jones, even if he is a couple years older, just because he is that type of force. I th- I think your chances of finding the next luxurious need in the draft are better than your chances of finding yeah. the next Chris Jones. I that's a great way to put it. I I would agree with that as well. Maybe unfair. I think luxurious need is awesome, but I, I would go with Chris Jones if I were the Chiefs. Now, finishing up here, flip it to the Forty ers a team that has Brock Purdy making peanuts relatively. Mm-hmm. For one more year. I'm not going to make you have the should the Niners resign Brock Purdy conversation. We can save that. Thanks, Bill. I, I just already called him a regular season quarterback. So that's already that's going to go great. <laughs> How many 49ers fans listen to this pod? Yeah, he, he, he's a he's a WCW Saturday night quarterback. He's not a he's, he's maybe a thunder quarterback. He's not not winning on pay-per-view is what Nate's saying here. He's the, he's uh Oh, what was it? They they split from uh, WCW. Was it like they they split into two groups? One was like the one was the A list group, one was like the B list group. So I think he would be black and white at this point. He's NWO black and white. You're calling him the Stevie Ray of NFL quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is making <laughs> is making less than a million dollars this year, making less than a million dollars next year. He's a bargain for the next two years, no matter how you you value him. Um, yep. The Niners traded three first-round picks for Trey Lance. They have very little to show for that deal. Those picks are going to have their effect felt over the next few years where you're not going to have a cost-controlled player who you expect to be a starter, who has the potential to be a Brandon IU caliber player. Those guys are going to be missing. You're not going to notice them because you don't see a hole on the roster, but... They're there, and they're going to be more prominent in the years to come. So if you're the Niners, if you're Kyle Shanahan, and you're John Lynch, how aggressive do you get this offseason? Are you thinking 2024 is our last chance to win a Super Bowl with a cheap Purdy with this core of players, some of whom are now Kittle, Williams, um, on the wrong side of 30, with a core that's about to get much more expensive as, as Bosa gets his new deal, and Bosa got his new deal as you hand out a deal to Ayuk, maybe. Um, yeah. You know, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, do you go all in and try to get a piece that's missing? And if you do, what would you go for if you were the Niners? <laughs> it does seem that is what's so hard to predict anything with this foreigners team because they are have been constantly aggressive i mean starting with the jimmy g trade and everything is following up uh i mean we got cmc trade trent williams stuff uh we got the trade of course this year for chase young we got last year going out and getting hargrave we got signing Traverius ward the year before 
uh, they go out and try and get guys. They they are going to try and be, I think so. Why I'm saying all that is I think they'll be active. I think they will be aggressive. I think they will push it in. They just got Trent Williams, basically. Trent Williams is what now, 34? Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. He hasn't really been missing too much time. You know, he always will miss a game mm-hmm. or two a year. Okay, but he's getting older. And we still need probably, I think, at least two more starting quality offensive linemen. So right there, all right, we need offensive line long-term plan. That's a lot of resources I think you have to spill there. They don't – Shannon offense is kind of – this is why they're yep. built this way is to kind of make sure you don't have to invest too much in the offensive line in the quarterback so you can do everything else. Um, but I, I think that that's right there what they have to do. They have to fill up at least one spot. Give me a real quality guard to help yourself, help yourself out. I think, too, is that the IU thing to me is the huge mm-hmm. priority. And you have to make that happen. I think Ayuk has become a legit te- top 10 receiver in the NFL, which if you told me that when he was drafted would blow my mind. He ended up in the greatest situation for him. And he has developed from a wild horse type player into a, just a phenomenal football player. Watching him block yes, last night was awesome. fantastic, but just everything route running, everything. Yeah. He's one of the best yak guys in the league. He's, he's fantastic. Um, So to me, that's a priority. I, after that, Really, to me, and as the season went along, as the injuries hit, they have the stars. They need depth. They need to use these resources in ways that can give them not only a plan for this year, which I think they'll push a little bit, but they need it to give themselves a bridge. They have gotten they've gotten awesome play out of day two and day three players. Kittle, Lenore, Fred Warner. I mean, you go on and on. Can you can you keep doing that? Please, <laughs> that that's it. Like that's the plan. Because I, it's hard, impossible for me, for me to predict how they feel about Purdy. I don't know how they feel. I know Cal Shanahan is very good about what he says publicly about his quarterbacks. So I can never give you a read. I do not talk to Cal Shanahan like that. Hey, how do you how do you really feel about Brock Purdy? Are you going to extend him? Uh, but I think that's why you can't predict what they feel about that. But what I can predict is you got to do the IU stuff. I think you do have to do the O-line depth and you have to use these resources in a quality way. And maybe it's hard to, everyone wants to do short-term or long-term planning, but I think these kind of picks this year would be a great chance to maybe take a deep breath and use them in an intelligent way to even build depth on positions of strength right now. So would you argue maybe trade down in the first round and get extra picks? Why wouldn't you? I'll play devil's advocate here, and you're 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 one play away from winning the Super Bowl. If you're one, you're one fourth and one stop from winning the Super Bowl. Maybe you say, "Hey, we're one bet away. Maybe we trade that first round pick and we get." Um, if you don't go one for five recovering fumbles uh, of Chiefs fumbles, one for seven recovering fumbles. Oh, because they game. lost their own two. Mm-hmm. How easy we forget. One for seven in recovering fumbles. I'm trying to, uh, every example I can think of is going to be bad. Like, do you call the Panthers and say, you know what? We'll give you a first-round pick for Taylor Moden, and we'll plug him in at right tackle. Maybe that's our solution. You know, maybe we mm. go out and get, you know, we replace Chase Young with uh, Daniel Hunter or something. You know, mm-hmm. maybe we go out and get, mm-hmm. we think, okay, we're one piece away. I, I can see that argument. I tend to agree with you uh, in terms of, like, add depth, try to, you know, mitigate some of the injuries, try to have, you know, fewer replacement level pieces, getting meaningful stops. Yeah. Um, but I could also see the Ram side of it and saying, screw it, we're one player away. So it, it's the uh, the tale of two L.A. teams. You either push and you become the Rams or you push and you become the Chargers. <laughs> and it's stars and scrubs. And you get two injuries and the whole season falls apart. And that that's or you push and you're the Rams and you get perfect old line health and you get, you know, an offensive edge on the on the year and everything. You can you get Odell Beckham. You trade for the Von Miller when he's uh, available and he actually impacts the game like Von Miller. That was the other thing. The other bet Chase Young playing in Washington this year looked like Chase Young or at least 90 percent of Chase Young. When he got to 49ers, most games, he looked like nothing. And I, he had, a, he had, I thought he had moments last night. Again, I haven't reviewed it, but I, I thought anecdotally he did. But that wasn't why you trade that pick for that. You trade him to be an impact player. So that was the difference too. So, yeah, it's the tale of two LA teams. That that that's why the all in stuff is always. All right, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we got we got, we got hit some bets. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, 
Trubisky Tart doesn't drop an arm punt for Matthew Stafford. Niners or wow. Rams are a little better closing out that game, or Niners right. are a little better closing out that game. Maybe they win a Super Bowl. I mean, it, it, it's such a the margins are so thin here, but that's all we have to work with as yeah. we face a cold, distant off season. Oh, I will have nothing to do for six months. But Nate Tice is already working on what's next. Nate. What are you going to have for the people over the next couple months? Oh, just, yeah, the IFSR on moves from the NFL season to the draft season, and I go with it as I, uh, whatever, can I go any (laughs) Middle-earth metaphors here? I can't really compare myself to a hobbit, so that kind of loses all uh, anything there. I'm not Frodo here. Pretty tall for a hobbit, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'm the world's tallest hobbit. Uh, But no, it it was, uh, yeah, so with draft season, you'll see plenty of stuff on Yahoo from me, plenty of mock drafts and all that good stuff, big boards. I will be doing a Caleb Williams uh, profile or a breakdown kind of, yeah, I'm sure that will just go over like a storm <laughs> that yeah, I cannot wait for that. Uh, that would be a off Twitter type of day. That would be a Nate gets a good workout type of day. Uh, <laughs> Nate, Nate goes to three movies in a row. Kind of yes. Day. Yes. What is out right now? So, uh, but yeah, you'll see that you can also hear me on the athletic football show with our, uh, he who should not be named, but no, actually with Robert Mace, uh, we will be, yes, getting into draft stuff, free agency stuff as well. Uh, come up upcoming months. And you can also find me at Nate underscore Tice on Twitter. And if you like those wrestling and Mortal Kombat references, boy, do I got a Twitter account for you. It's, <laughs> it's at Bill Barnwell. No, <laughs> but no, that is. And uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on, Bill. And uh, this was this was a ton of fun. Of course. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks so much to Nate Tice for carrying the show today. Sorry about my voice. Maybe not the most uh, mellifluous. Is that the word? Most pleasant in your ears. I apologize for that. Um, but if you want to listen to me uh, with a better voice, you could go back and listen to our live podcast from Las Vegas last week. Really entertaining, fun show with myself, Mina Kimes, Dominic Foxworth, and Kevin Clark. Video is up online as well, but the audio is in all of our podcast feeds. So uh, if you got you want to listen to some Super Bowl preview after the fact, check that out. But I think, I think it was a fun show. There was some non-Super Bowl content as well. And then we are coming back on a weekly basis. I know we were doing two shows a week during the second half of the season. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We are back on the once-a-week schedule here on out through the off-season. I think you'll be getting those shows mostly on Thursday mornings. So keep that in mind. And we have a lot to get to. Still plenty of stuff to discuss, even though the season is over. But we'll be discussing it one day a week as opposed to two. So thanks so much for listening and more audio on the way next week.